Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to Mount Olympus's outpost on CERN. I am Hercules Invictus, and today we're traveling the Tree of Worlds, arriving at the Temple of the Muses, and celebrating Creativity Unbound. And I'm very honored to have with me Carlene T. Clark, a very prolific fantasy writer. Greetings and welcome, Carlene. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Oh, I, it's it's awesome to be catching up again. How is our mutual friend Thomas Punton? He's doing great. He's he's been busy working on some of his uh, spiritual stuff and discovering um, some interesting uh, habits that that he's developing for um, different hobbies and things like that. That he's he's really developing all kinds of interesting talents. Oh, awesome. I need to catch up with him uh, soon. Uh, last time I spoke with him, he was uh, starting a new art form uh, with uh, pixelated uh, cartoon characters, or if I remember correctly. Yeah, the, the pixelated bead art, and he's started woodworking, and he's starting to discover drag as well. Oh, wow. That, that is incredibly awesome. Uh, well, he has creative friends, too, so the creativity uh, is floating and it's unbound. Um, I checked out <laughs> your website and your Amazon page. You have some new books uh, that just uh, came out. Um, do you want to talk about your new books first? Sure. Um, so my latest book came out in the middle of COVID. Um, the Cherry Blossom Promises is set in uh, my hometown here in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and it is an alternate reality with some steampunk and lots of magic. <laughs> There's awesome. goblins on the road towards Minot in Montana, um, and it travels across um, all the way Montana to Winnipeg out to New York, and um, it's it's really a, a story about a girl escaping a situation that she doesn't realize is abusive and emotionally damaging to her mm. and uh, discovering who she is. And um, one of the things that um, I had some friends that when they did the reading for me, um, the beta reading, they said, you know, you really need to add at the end a list of resources for people that are dealing with this in their own lives so that they have somewhere to reach out to. So that's one of the additions we added was, you know, if you actually live in the real Grand Forks, there's resources to call and get help as well as national hotlines. Oh, that is incredible. You open the door to uh, healing uh, through the fiction. That is fantastic. And then you anchor it uh, into our local communities. Yes. What inspired And I did it all based on, all, all based on places I've been, which is an amazing way to do that. So that it's places I have actually visited and I know what the environment looks like and, it's, I think that helps lend a little credibility to it. 
Oh, it, it certainly does. I remember when I used to write uh, fiction uh, a while ago, you know, short stories, um, I used to love putting them in like slightly altered versions of the reality I was uh, familiar with and uh, uh, with slightly altered versions of the people that I knew. Uh, it, it yes. was a very of, of exploring you know, how I felt about a lot of different things. And uh, I began to see through the fiction a lot of uh, um, connections that I didn't see while I was stuck in mundane mind. Yeah, it is a type of meditation. It definitely takes you someplace that helps you realize there's something bigger. So will this uh, um, protagonist continue in future stories? Um. No, she the, the two main characters are kind of a standalone story, but okay. there are a few characters that will show up in their own story down the road. Oh, very, very so cool. There's, um, yeah, so the main characters are Beryl and Dar, and um, they are, they have, at one point they speak to a character named Priya, and she's the one that has her own story coming down the line with, um, coming out of her own abusive background and finding empowerment and strength through the friends that she has around her. So that story is still in the works, but that will be coming down the line. And does this uh, connect to any of your other books? Because you've written a lot of different fantasy books. So are there any threads or connections to any of those? No, this one, because it's set in an alternate real world, it's kind of its own thing. Um, the next, the next book that I have ready that's in, um, edits right now is going to be a book called, um, the dawn of the golden sorcerer. And that one has a character that will tie into my first trilogy. There's uh, a mage that just kind of passes through in that story. And the main character from my first book from Rangers homecoming actually will be on a council with this character. So you get to see a little bit different side of him. So that will tie together a little bit. Oh, very cool. And uh, looking on Amazon, you've written a couple of books on gaming, one on coding projects, one on gaming pro uh, programs for libraries. Yes. Um, I was asked to contribute to these by the American Library Association because of a lot of different programming that I've been doing at our own library and um, reaching out into our public library community and teaching coding to children. So they're learning um, scratches. If you've never heard of the scratch coding, it's color blocks. It's all color coded that teaches HTML to children and high schoolers without that worry about all those, you know, carrots and slashes. And you don't have to worry about any of that because you start learning this connects to when this, then that, and they start seeing it so that by the time they get into high school and they actually look at what HTML looks like, they, they have that connection of, oh, it's just like the yellow block that did this thing and the orange block that did that thing. <laughs> so it's really fun to see that and for them to be able to develop cartoons and tutorials. And I've used it even with my own faith group to develop some tutorials on how to do like chakra work and figuring out oh, what the order is and, yeah, so I've used it on multiple occasions, and um, it's the Scratch program is designed so that you can remix. If you like something on there, you can hit a remix button, take what somebody else has done, and completely redo it for yourself. And there's no proprietary ownership to anything that's on this program. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, before the pandemic, uh, 
I'm currently, and I have been for, uh, I guess, three, four years now, the president of our friends of the local library. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we prioritized was STEAM, um, which is science, technology, uh, engineering, art, and mathematics, uh, for those yes. who aren't familiar with STEAM. And uh, uh, one of the things that I used to personally run was a, a, like a science fiction fantasy role-playing game. And uh, I tied it to what they were learning in the STEAM uh, classes. Inclu- and I believe that they had the scratch uh, coding too. Um, so that if they attended those programs uh, and they could demonstrate that knowledge in the role-playing game, they got extra experience points. So the kids became really motivated, you know, to, to learn about STEAM uh, uh, type of uh, um, you know, topics so that they could get RPG points. Oh, for fun. Yeah, yeah. The other, you might be interested then in the other, the other chapter I had written was on zombie tag. It's an oh, interactive wow. role-play game for the entire library where you give them um, index cards with a resource, and then you have people spread out at different locations around the, the building that have, like, the white lab coats, and they're the CDC people, and uh-huh. they have to find those to help them learn how to use the library catalog on the computers, and then they have to go find the materials out in the shelves and avoid the zombies running around and get it back That's to the so reference cool. desk. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, the only similar thing I've done is uh, when we lived in Pennsylvania, we had a, uh, like a flea market shop, you know, a little store in a, in a big building um, called the Barbarian mm-hmm. Bar. And uh, when we're leaving uh, Pennsylvania to move to New Jersey, you know, we're liquidating the store. Uh, so we declared uh, that uh, the best zombie costumes would get like a bunch of uh, prizes and we gave them like some of the pricier uh, merchandise. So for that weekend, it looked like the mall was invaded by zombies. <laughs> and it was really hard oh, to award me. Everything is so great, you know, that uh, um, if we're still there, we probably have an annual zombie day. So that is so great. Um, did you have this zombie thing around Halloween so they could dress up, or did they dress up anyway? They came as normal human beings, and okay. we had our – I'm at an academic library, so we had the theater arts department come over with their makeup kits. And as you were turned into a zombie, you would come back down to the reference desk and just show them that you had no more armband to prove that you were living – and the theater arts people would do you up with complete zombie makeup and turn you loose to go bite bite other people by taking their armbands. Oh, very cool. So is this now a recurring event, or will it be after the pandemic is over? We are really hoping to bring it back. It was such a hit that people were asking if we could do, like, killer elves for Christmas that year <laughs> and <laughs> do the, uh, the crazy bunny from uh, – Monty Python around uh, Ostara. It was just—it was a rather funny uh-huh. thing that they were—they were—they got really excited about it. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, how did you get involved with uh, libraries? I actually have worked at a library since 2000. Um, oh, okay. So it's—it's it's something that I have—I—I I used to be just a night supervisor, and then I got into kind of our flagship university and became the student supervisor, the front end person. And then I, a few years ago, I went and got my library degree and 
all these great ideas and talking with all these other librarians and hopeful librarians, the ideas that we were coming up with on ways that we could enrich their experience and encourage people to learn about libraries and have fun in them is something I took back. And I know to start with, you know, some of our librarians were a little, I don't know about this. <laughs> it's a big change and I have a lot of chaos. But they, once we did it and they saw what a hit it was, they, everything got tucked into a box so that it's ready to go for the next time. So they really got excited about it. Oh, very cool. Um, I got involved with uh, libraries when we moved to Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm a very eccentric person, but I've done a lot of things, and it's always a problem when we move, you know, what do people do with uh, someone like me? So uh, I had asked around <laughs> agencies and libraries, what's your toughest problem? <laughs> and then uh, I suggested ways of addressing it. So the libraries said that, uh, and there were big literacy programs uh, um, that were there, but, you know, there were all these other ones uh, too. Uh, so, um, and asked why the kids weren't reading, and uh, it was because the politically correct the stuff that they were given in school wasn't appealing to them. Uh, so, right. uh, I suggested doing, you know, a role-playing game, and that took off. We, we eventually had so many kids that I needed to start a Dungeon Masters Academy, and then if they graduated, uh, then they could uh, run their own games in the library. You know, they had authorization to do that. Uh, so um, eventually, because I, I did that for years, we had like the main game at the library, then we had all these other games, and they all tied in together, you know, so you can go from game to game, and, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, um, I got involved with our first book, and I got involved with uh, an adult literacy program, and I worked in a local community college, uh, so uh, it, it was a really fun time, and the kids loved to read. And whatever world we're adventuring in, the first thing we do is get the books. So I started a book <laughs> giveaway program. So uh, through book, yep, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. So if we were going to venture in the world of Conan, they all got Conan books. If we're doing the Forgotten Realms squad, they all got Forgotten Realms books. So they were able to to figure out what they were facing and make wise decisions, and it was a very successful program. And they get excited about that kind of thing. I remember I, I was, a, I was a, a middle school teacher before I became a librarian, and um, I had a group of kids that were in uh, the Title I program. You know, the, they just mm -hmm. need a little extra help with their reading. And um, we, they didn't like the book we were doing, and I got permission to, to take Edgar Allan Poe and do that for sixth graders. And we finished The Black Cat, and... The, it was we finished on a Friday, and on a Monday, one of the boys came back and he said, "I had nightmares all weekend. Can we do another one?" <laughs> I was like, "We got a winner." <laughs> that is awesome. So you found your um, your purpose and your passion early in life, and uh, you've yeah. continued to thrive in the environment where you are. And, and you've been very prolific. You've written. Uh, a number of books, some of which connect and some of which uh, don't. Um, where do you see yourself going with your creative uh, journey? Because you've accomplished a hell of a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I do presentations as well, um, mostly for library associations. I, I do a lot of speaking at conventions on um, how, to, how to combat certain things, such as the um, – reception anxiety that people have when they go into libraries and they're afraid to ask questions and they're worried about retaining and I talk a lot about leadership 
and um, the difference between leadership and management. And um, I'm, I'm very big on the em- empathetic connection to people and teaching people to understand how to relate to each other and to look at things from the other side. So I carry that through with the conferences, the presentations. Um, I've been only once with everything that's been going on to Paganacon, and I'm hoping to go back and, and present there again. Um, yeah, my students, we focus on customer service and soft skills and learning how to relate to each other. So that's kind of my focus, and I try to incorporate that into my faith group and into my writing and carry that all the way through everything I do in my life. But you just have to have that connection with other people and whatever I can do to enhance that is kind of where my focus and and my passion is to foster those connections. And uh, although I'm far away from your faith group, I do know Thomas Puntan we mentioned uh, earlier and uh, Thomas uh, uh, shared when he finally found your group that uh, uh, he finally found his spiritual home. And I know you've been oh, looking yes. for one for a while, so I was very happy for him. Yeah, he he and I several years ago had um, we had connected so well, and I know he's he's a little bit of a loner, you know, but um, he and I really connected. And I said, you know, you're like a little brother I never had. And just a few years ago, he had talked to me about possibly doing like a, a blood brother, blood sister kind of ritual. And wow. he knew that because I, yeah, I had been through, you know, multiple rounds of cancer and, and nearly died with all of that. He was like, we're not cutting your hand. I don't dare do that. So he developed this beautiful ritual for us where we put the flat of the blade between our palms and he wrapped a red ribbon. And then we used our own athames to cut it. And then we tied those into our chingulums that we wear now. And it's, it was, he did such a beautiful job with the ritual. My husband was there to take pictures and wow, he's, he's yeah, he's a special guy to me. He's a special guy to me. Uh, I, I had my first uh, um, interview on his uh, show uh, during my new round of activities. So he was the first to interview me, and I believe it's still on YouTube somewhere. But uh, th- that was a very uh, special thing, and it uh, it inspired me to move in this direction, and now I've been doing podcasts for years. Oh, great. And you blend your life uh, very well also. Instead of separating, like, your faith life from your professional life, from your um, creative life, uh, all of them blend together. How do you juggle all that? Uh, carefully. I don't sleep. No. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says, when do you sleep? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's. I think it's just my faith is a big part of who I am. And even though I don't talk about it a lot at work, they know that I'm different. And right. um, we've had one of our one of our members actually used to be a student employee of mine that knew about it and had talked to me afterwards. And um, there's, I mean, it just kind of connects that way that people know there's something that's not mainstream about me and they get curious and they'll ask questions and I'm happy to answer them. Um, I just, I try to, my big thing is just always be honest. I, I don't like right. falsehoods of any kind and, as long as I maintain that, and I always tell people, you know, I have a short-term memory problem on top of everything because of some medications I've been given in the past. So 
it makes no sense for me to lie because I wouldn't remember what I told you. So <laughs> I just always, I'm, I'm always honest with everybody about it. And if I'm going to say something behind your back, you can guarantee I will say it to your face because it's just part of that integrity and the honesty that I want upheld throughout everything I do. That's part of my, so I, just, I guess, talk. yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I make sure it flows because everything ties together. It's just like nature. Very, very true. Um, I'd like to go down a guided tour of your creative uh, works. You talked about uh, cherry blossom promises in your coding book. Uh, so I guess uh, we'll start with Magpie's Flight. Oh, I want to give a special shout out for that one. My okay. husband actually wrote that particular book, and oh, it is his first. Yeah, it's his first novel. Um, that one. It was actually a character he used to play online, and he decided he was going to start writing a little blurb about her backstory. And at that time, we worked at the same university, and um, he, every day when he'd pick me up, he'd give me two pages to read, and I'd get to the end and say, well, where's the next page? And he was like, well, I could write you another two pages tomorrow. So that's what he did on his lunch breaks. And over the course of a year, he wrote this book, and then it's, kind of a spy, a little bit of, you know, D&D Harper-style character. Um, we had a friend that's really into D&D Harpers, and she read the the beta version of that, and she just loved it. And he's like, well, I don't know. Do you think it's good enough to publish? And I was like, you got at least one fan. So <laughs> he he finally got it together, and... Um, we both the, the cover art for the Cherry Blossom Promises and for Magpie's Flight are um, a, a person named Ray Lenore that's out in California. She had just graduated from uh, art school and um, was looking for commissions. And a friend, a mutual friend, connected us and gave us a really reasonable rate for my for my my first cover. And I said, you know, this this is not fair to you you need to actually charge me what, <laughs> what's, what's worth. She actually did the cover for the book before that, which was Assassin's Gift, and I fell in love with it. And then she was going to charge me the same amount for the, the second one, Cherry Blossom, and I said, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. you got to charge me more. You do such an amazing <laughs> job. <laughs> so she, she actually, What's that? They're beautiful covers. I think I think they do such a great job for me, and I'm so excited. I'm going to have them do um, the Dawn of the Golden Sorcerer as well. So I'm very excited to see what they come up with. Are you going to post it on your uh, website early? I, yeah, when we get to that point. It usually takes her about six to seven months to, to do the cover properly. Um, they do a lot of back and forth with me with, you know, here's, here's what the face I'm imagining looks like. And here's a close up of the eyes. And what do you think? Whiskers or no whiskers, the arm hair, no arm hair. I mean, they're very detailed in what they do and how the outfit looks. And the, the cherry blossom cover, I gave her, a, gave, I gave them a few examples of what I kind of envisioned the two characters to look like along with samples from within of descriptions of how they described each other in the book. And they took that and just ran with it. And the whole background of the book that has that really interesting circle imagery on it, that was all them. They, they came up with that. It was nothing I suggested. It was just 
so gorgeous when I got it back. So they they actually read the book to get an idea of uh, the characters and uh, uh, is it based on a scene in the book? Um, in a way, yes. That one is actually taken from about four different snipped scenes that okay. um, we had talked about um, a scene where the two main characters are dancing amongst all these trees and another one where they're down by a river. And then there's one or two other scenes in the book where something very similar to those stances happens where they're, where he's playing this violin and we, we agree that that's probably where we wanted to go with it is something kind of general, but there's a lot of moving between there's a shadow plane within the, the book that Dar, the, the male character can manipulate by playing his violin and he moves through the shadow plane to jump out somewhere else but there's a, a a toll he has to pay he gets very cold and it sucks some of his life force every time he does it so it's wow. almost like visiting the land of the dead yeah yeah i i'm hoping that that uh, world expands it sounds very it sounds very fascinating how about urban green man so the urban green man was um through edge publishing and I have an anthology that's part of the anthology. My, my short in there is called Wither Green. And the, the concept was what happens if you take the green man out of the forest and out of nature and drop him in the city? What happens? And uh-huh. I, <laughs> I took it from a perspective of being in Grand Forks and um, the idea that the crops were failing and why are the crops failing? And I went with um, – Sil for for Sylvanus was the man dying, and his his partner Jackie off of Jack of the Green um, didn't know what was going on, and that something had to change because everything was withering. And went into the city and found that there was a home where the darkness was spreading from, where the the rot was coming from, and had to solve what was going on with it. And I can't tell you what it is, or it'll ruin the story, okay. but. Um, yeah, they have to go in and figure out what it is and stop it so that the life cycle can renew and repeat. That sounds very Arthurian. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, how about a ranger's homecoming? I absolutely love the story. It's not my best writing. I will admit that up front. It reads like a lit RPG, um, but that one was a labor of love. I had a friend that did three tours of duty in Iraq and wanted to have somebody that could take his therapy writing from his, his, what he was, had gone through. And he said, can you turn the, the tanks into like dragons and dwarves? And can you turn me into an elf? And oh, I wow. want a very specific ending, but could you do a short story for me? Cause he had seen some of my online shorts that I had done for a server we'd belonged to. And I, I said, yeah, my dad was military. I'm happy to help out the military any way I can. And um, several friends came back then and said, you know, you never, ever send a Marine alone. So can we give you characters too? <laughs> and oh, wow. we ended up with a team of seven. That And that was an interesting way to write a book because everybody had an idea on what their character looked like and what their character sounded like and how they talked. And Every time I would write a scene with whichever character it was, and I would email it to that person and say, is this capturing what you think they would sound like or move like? And they'd say yes or no, and then I'd edit that. And 
go on to the next section. Oh, wow. That, that in itself, that process is, is very creative. Uh, and again, like uh, your most recent book, very rooted in reality. Yeah, it, it came out of a real situation, and he he gave me free reign to just do whatever I wanted. So it went from the original plan of just being a short story. Then I said, well, how would you feel if it was a novella? And he, and he was like, I would love that. And then all of a sudden we're up to seven people, and you can't tell – a story of seven people in a novella. So no. I said, it's going to be a book. Is that okay? And he goes, that would be awesome. <laughs> so I put it out I, and I, I self-published it with just the intent that it was going to be for him and those that were his fellowship. And it went bigger than I expected. And all of a sudden I was getting emails from Germany and Denmark of all places asking to know what the female story was. And I hadn't really considered that, <laughs> so I <laughs> took that, and um, I wrote her story, and then the third one is about their son. This, so the girl, Annie, in the second book, there's a slight Easter egg. When you get to Assassin's Gift, there's a war that happens, and Aaron, the main character, talks very briefly about a character named Adam Erickson that mm-hmm. happens to be Annie's father. Oh, wow. And you don't find out his story until much later now when I'm working on the Assassin's Gift series. There's uh, seven brothers that they'll each get their story, and it's the story of them growing up in a different environment. They're all noble kids, and as they come back together and this war happens, the perspective that they all see it from. And each of them have a very unique take on it, and Adam is transported by the gods from one place to another. It's in the same world, but he doesn't realize that to start with. And that's where he lives out the remainder of his life. And that's where Annie comes from. And she doesn't know about the other side of the world and that her dad actually came from there. So So homecoming continues in Assassin's Gift. So a ranger's homecoming is book one. And then it's a ranger's, uh, Legacy, Legacy, and, and then uh, Ranger's Inheritance, which okay. is the son not wanting to be his dad, but he kind of ends up being his dad. And um, that's kind of a standalone by itself trilogy. And this okay. new, it's a septology that I'm working on is the Lords of Drakeldorn. And that's where Adam will start showing up in each of the characters' stories. So you'll learn a little bit about him. As, as they move through their stories. Wow. Um, yeah. the, the next book that is in that set will be Silver Song, and that's the next older brother to Aaron, and he has Adam as his personal guard, so you'll get to know more about Adam there. So eventually it will be seven books um, that tell that story. Mm-hmm. It'll come out in bits and pieces. Oh, very, very, very awesome. And how about Siren Song, A World Between? So Siren Song was um, more of a challenge. That um, There was a open call that they were looking for stories about water creatures. And I missed the deadline to submit, but I took the challenge and wrote the story anyway. 
and I had enough people that thought it was rather interesting. And some people don't like the ending because it's too open, but I purposely left it that way because I went at it from the view of this young siren doesn't want to be a siren. She's more intrigued by the songs that are sung on the ships and the sailor songs than she is what her mothers and aunts are telling her she needs to do. And she finds out by getting into some mischief that she's not what she thought she was. And you don't know at the end exactly what she is. Are there any other fantasy books I missed? I went with what's on Amazon, but I'm also listed as an author on Amazon. And I know that like half a dozen of the things I did aren't there. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, No, that's that. I think, let's see, that's three, four, five books and then the shorts and then the ALA books. And then I have two professional publications that are in journals. I have one that's in the Journal of Access Services and one that's in Reference Services Review. And those are um, professional publications, one on uh, how I do my student training. And that has since been downloaded. It's in our, our commons at the university and can be downloaded across the world. And I think last count was, last week I saw it was up to like 1,800 downloads. Oh, awesome. that people are adopting my program. Yeah, and uh, we know that there's at least seven different states that have picked it up. And um, the other is the, the Reference Services Review has an article about a program that I developed from scratch called the Peer Research Consultants Program. There's a few libraries around the country doing it, but um, you take undergraduate students and you teach them to do the basics of what a librarian would do during a research appointment and let them work with the students coming in because students, especially undergraduates, are more comfortable with somebody their own age than mm -hmm. talking to us old people. So <laughs> we've got it set up. They do almost, it's like a full semester of training that they have to go through to do this. And then we turn them loose and they absolutely love it. And the librarians are loving them and um, it, it was a lot of fun to develop, really hard work, but a lot of fun to do. And we didn't know, my co-authors and I, when we, we picked a journal that actually had previous articles from like 2010 about this kind of program, we're like, well, they already did something, so we'll just do an updated thing. And after we submitted and told our assistant director, she said, you know, that's the hardest journal to get into. And we're like, well, <laughs> we'll wait and oh, see wow. what happens. We'll get it back. And it was only a few weeks, and we got a, yes, we want your article. So it was very nice feather in our hats that, that um, this big company wanted to have our materials published. That is great. Congratulations. Thank you. So your, your path is moving forward, and you have a, a bunch of uh, interconnected uh, side paths. Um, where do you see yourself going, uh, like uh, down the main uh, road? Where do you so, see yourself going professionally and uh, creatively? Oh, professionally, we are we, – well, we're, I was, I'm hoping that it would be nice to, to become like the head of a department or something at some point, but – my hands are so full right now with everything I am doing. Um, but I have, you know, I have time. I'm not that old yet. So it's just kind of moving ahead with where I'm at and getting students 
ready to graduate and do the best they can in the real world is kind of my focus with my job and keeping that separate that they know that that's, you know, I, I will go a little bit into the evening if they need me, but I do take the time off and I won't respond after a certain point um, just uh-huh. to keep some separation. And um, my faith group is coming along. I have a, um, two second degree priests. I'm the first group to have priests in my group, which is really awesome. Um, that is awesome. So, yeah, so we've got um, one other group that has a priest in it, but we've got um, two second degree priests in my group, which is really awesome to have. And one is planning to move on to becoming a high priest, which is amazing. And um, awesome. yeah, just getting them trained up to, to hopefully be able to go out and, and teach some classes of their own and things like that. Uh, we're hoping to, to teach uh, like a Wicca 101 class this summer just to um, we, we've been seeing a need on Facebook. There's um, some different groups around the area that are saying, is there anybody out there in the area? And I finally put it out and said, I'm here. <laughs> I'm really busy right now, but how about the end of the summer? And I have so many responses to that that uh, I have to do a class for that and see how that goes. And creatively, it's just finding time in between everything else so that I can do the edits and continue writing. Um, I tend to do it on my breaks. Like if I'm on a lunch at, at work mm-hmm. in the building, I, w- I would always take half of my lunch break and just write and get some of that down. I always tell people that's, that's the rule. Everybody says, I can't do it. I don't have time. Everybody has 10 minutes, and if you can just take 10 minutes for whatever you feel is a passion for you, you can make anything happen. So if it's just 10 minutes to talk to somebody or 10 minutes to write or 10 minutes to paint, that's all you need to move forward. I believe that as well. Um, I've done a lot of things and that I didn't have time for, but I, I wanted to do them, so I found time to do them. Yeah, and I know I didn't I didn't mention it, but I still have a, uh, an Etsy shop as well for miniature painting. Oh, great! And this is uh, for so like figurines, like for role playing games, or uh, yeah, yep, all miniatures. Um, some rather large miniatures, but um, we we went with the title of "Hire an Adventurer" because. To say, you know, we're going to buy an adventure sounds kind of funny, but everybody goes to the inn, and that's where you always start, and that's where you hire your adventurers. So we started putting up little stories of why this particular character is at my inn, and hopefully it gives people a little chuckle as they're looking at it before they choose to (laughs) to purchase their adventure and take them home and name them. (laughs) Do you have a website for that? Yep, it's um, Etsy.com whatever the Etsy site is, and then, let's see, here it is, etsy.com slash shop slash hire an adventurer. Hire an, and I'm a one-figure typist. Uh, okay. There we go. Okay, that, that is awesome. I see the the bar and... Uh, where the glasses and things are uh, kept, and I guess uh, two serving wenches. Mm-hmm. And the grimy dust, we purposely let it sit until dust settled over it before we took a picture. 
because we wanted right. it to look like that grimy, dirty place that every adventurer goes for their really nasty ale. <laughs> Do you make the miniatures also, or are these the miniatures that have been purchased and painted? Uh, so to date, we were just purchasing, and then we paint them at here. My husband helps out with some of them. Any of the creepy creatures are usually his. He's really good at those. <laughs> yeah, I see a giant frog type of thing there. Yes. Oh, very good. And the prices are reasonable as well. Yes, and we're running a 10% off sale through the 17th this month as well. I put a link uh, on my uh, page on uh, Facebook. There's around uh, 5,000 people gathered there. Uh, so hopefully some of them will be interested. I also put a link to your Amazon page and to your website and to your Facebook. Is there any place else you'd like me to put a link to? Oh, gosh. Um, if there's anybody that wants me professionally, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Okay. I'll look up the link and on. And if you don't, if you can't think of anything after you think of something later, just PM it to me and I'll put it, I'll, I'll add it uh, to the thread. Yeah, absolutely. Now, other than making time every day to do what your passion is, and and you shared your story about your husband that it started with just background for a character and it became his first uh, uh, book, uh, and that he worked on it a little bit uh, at a time. Other than that, what other advice would you offer to people who say they don't have the time or you know, that uh, uh, it's too difficult to do? Everything worth doing is difficult. That's, that's the biggest thing. If it's too easy, there's no joy in completing it. It's, I mean, you can do the dishes. That's easy. If you want to do something challenging and worthwhile and fulfilling – you're going to go outside your comfort zone and you're going to find a way to make something happen. And it doesn't, if you're writing a book, it doesn't have to be in order. Just write. Right. You know, maybe today you're thinking that this is a little bit of their childhood and tomorrow you're thinking this is them retired. And then you're thinking of their job. Just write. You can, we have computers for a reason. You can move things around and get it sorted out as you go. Um, just treat your characters like they're people, you know, people watch, do a lot of that and write what you know. Um, if you're interested in doing professional publications, easiest thing is, you know, find, find somebody to work with for your first one. That's what I did. I had a mentor that helped me and write what you know. What is it that you're passionate about with your job? Why is it this, you know, and people, you know, that's, it's easy to say, well, why would people want to read this? But people want to know more than you think they want to know. They're, the minute, just because it's something that's valuable to you, you think that, oh, nobody's going to think it's important to them. They do, though. There's more people out there that want to know what, about what you're doing than you give them credit for. And you have a voice. So you, you have a responsibility to put it out there and to share what you know. So it's, it's something to, to just, Challenge yourself every day and, and find those 10 minutes, even if you have to, you know, if it's, even if it's just finishing or reading a book, you know, we, we, we joke here that, you know, it, we had, we had the stockpile when the, the pandemic started 
and we just kind of joked about the fact that, you know, that's what bathrooms are for. <laughs> Take your book in the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe it's just a page every time you go in there, but it's still a page. Um, so it's, it's find the time and, and just challenge yourself to step outside your comfort zone and give yourself the grace to fail, that you don't have to accomplish great things overnight you're going to backslide and you're going to stop at times and you're going to think it's too hard, but it will happen. You know, just every day do a little bit. That's very sage uh, advice and uh, very effective. Uh, Somebody had once suggested on the show that I write for anthologies because I'd been writing a bunch of articles that were being published in uh, uh, e-zines and fanzines and print magazines. And somebody suggested I, um, submit uh, my metaphysical stuff to like uh, um, anthologies and now like two years later I've been published in 16 anthologies so it, it goes by fast and then you turn around it's like oh wow you know look at all this stuff you know that's uh, been done uh, so now I'm no. like, uh, tackling uh, a novel or um, you know, a metaphysical book or something I've been writing down different ideas in my notebook I carry a notebook with me everywhere um, and uh, so I have pages and pages of ideas. Eventually, one will strike me enough. It's like this is what I'm doing, and then uh, I'll devote time to that every day until it's uh, done. So that's excellent uh, advice and very practical. And speaking about practical, um, a lot of my professional background has been in uh, vocational rehabilitation and workforce development. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, we share that uh, professionally. Um, I'm sure this advice that you just gave to creative people is something that you also share with the, the more practical students uh, as well. Yes. I mean, it's the same thing when I did the professional articles. Um, when I work with teaching my students customer service, it's the same kind of thing. I don't expect perfection. Even our evaluation form that I use for my students does not say, you know, we've got four columns from outstanding on one end down to novice, we do not say fail because you're you're just beginning, you know, and just remind yourself of that no matter what you're doing. It's, you know, and there's like that, that babble commercial or whatever that's on TV now where you're going to sound really bad for a while and that's okay. That's okay. And just give yourself that grace to be bad for a while as you're figuring it out. And it takes a while to figure it out, and then things change. So you have to figure it out uh, all over again. So it's a, it's a process. Uh, yes. It takes year. It took me 13 years to get my bachelor's degree because at the time I was a young person who was married and had a child. So I was working like a million different jobs and still going to school. It took 13 years, but I finally got it. So that's okay. You know. Uh, yeah. Ten minutes at a time. There you go. <laughs> Because, I mean, you would have been that age anyway, so why not keep working on it? Right. And uh, at the end of that time, I could have had the degree or not had the degree. You know, so it was up to me. Sometimes I could take one class a semester. Sometimes I couldn't take a class for a year. Uh, But uh, cumulatively, it added up, and eventually I had that uh, diploma. So um, it didn't matter. One of the things um, um, my aunt, when she was alive, uh, she taught me is that life is is very, it passes quickly. And the way she did this yeah. was she tapped me on the shoulder uh, when I was 17 years old 
and she says, how old are you? And I thought that was a weird question because she knew how old I was. I said, I'm 17. She goes, all right, remember this moment because when you're 35, I'm going to tap you on your shoulder again and ask you some questions. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. I promptly forgot about it. But when I was 35, she tapped me on the shoulder. And she said, remember the last time I tapped you on the shoulder? And I remembered. I said, yes, I was 17. She goes, I, I said, I've asked you a few questions. And I said, yes. And she goes, how does life seem for the past 18 years? So <laughs> and I said, it, it, it happened so quickly. It's like I was there and now I'm here. You know, and that moment got bridged. She goes, how was all, how was all the time in between? It's like it was like a dream. And she goes, remember that. She goes, next time you're around, um, next time when you're 65, I'll tap you on the show. I just want to ask you. Unfortunately, she didn't make it till I was 65. Um, but uh, I will never forget that. And uh, it's guided my life since I was uh, um, 35, I guess. Um, and uh, it, it's the understanding that life is going to pass. And uh, you have now is your time under the sun. So it's up to you to determine what you're going to do with it. And you're the only person who, uh, who can really decide uh, if that time was well spent or not. Yes. And make your bucket list. Yes. That's, that's the other big thing I'll tell people. You know, I had that experience of being near death twice and, having the time to reflect on that and what did I not do and what was the time to get my button gear with. And I don't want people to have to be at that door before they say I should have make your list. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it is and how outlandish and how far out there make your list and just start crossing stuff off of it. And that's very true too. Uh, I, on my bucket list, I had flying a plane, which I never thought I'd do, yeah. but I wrote down. And I got to fly a plane like 25 years ago. Uh, I went I was in California, and I was cooking Greek food for them because I'm, I'm Greek and I like to cook. Um, and everybody who was there who was eating my Greek food would do something for me. And one of the people was an airplane uh, um, instructor, an air, you know, like um, they, they flew those small planes. Uh, so they asked yeah. me if I'd want to do that. And my initial impulse was to say, no, thank you. Um, but then it's, it's, I said, wait a minute. Yeah, I have that on my list. <laughs> so I never took flying lessons after that. But for an hour and a half, I had to time my life. And I was so glad that I did that and that I didn't pass it up. So, yes, having a bucket list is important. And you never know when life will offer you the opportunity uh, to do that thing. And it helps you not be afraid in that moment. There's so many people that don't have that list and then afterwards just regret they didn't. Right. If you have that list, at least you've thought about some of these things. So when the opportunity presents itself, you can say, yeah, that's something on my list. I want to cross that off. And those regrets will get you in the end. I, I've worked with a lot of people who are in uh, um, either like in hospital rooms or in hospices uh, or in other type of institutions where they weren't leaving their bed. And if they were right. lucid enough to know, you know, where they were, um, I, I found by talking to them pretty universally, uh, the best thing in life to have when you're there is good memories. Uh, the worst thing you could have is regrets. And the regrets aren't like huge regrets. It's not telling somebody what you wanted to tell them, not having done something that you had the opportunity to do, but you're afraid, you know, things like that. Uh, and also yeah. Even if it's somebody that's being paid to look after you, to visit every day to see how you're doing and to spend some time with you. So all of life got reduced to that, and that became the basis of my philosophy of living. 
which is a great way to live. Oh, mo- most certainly so. And uh, um, you've been an awesome guest. Uh, and uh, I had a really great time uh, speaking with you. You're doing a lot of exciting uh, things, and you're putting yourself out there, and you're using your creativity in a variety of uh, ways that help other people or get them um, thinking about different things. So I commend you, and uh, I'm very grateful that you're there doing what you do. How can people contact you? Um, they can uh, follow me. Uh, they can subscribe to my um my website if they like i don't have a newsletter going out at the moment um they can also find i think you shared my facebook page i saw that they can contact me there um they're welcome to friend me um yeah any of those different options if they're interested probably facebook or the um the the writing website would be the best way to get a hold of me and um that will get me contact through messenger or email and I'm happy to correspond with anybody that wants to reach out about things. Thank you so very and much. I look forward to the next time you're on and uh, please uh, keep in touch. You're doing amazing things. If I could help uh, spread the word, I'd be honored to. Yeah. I've really enjoyed talking to you again. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for being here. Uh, and thanks to everybody who tuned in, whether you listen to us live as we were speaking or on demand. Uh, um, we wish you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. I'm going to end with a Bone Poets Orchestra song called Cry Freedom.
top of her Sings the mystery of the all-expanding universe Trust that brain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we live 